The following program contains graphic material, including offensive language. Viewer discretion is advised. She's got the news. She talks with newsmakers. She encourages us to laugh, and she cries with us. Speaking truth to power and questioning authority daily, it's the Nicole Sandler Show. Oh, and it's a brand new week. Welcome to a Monday, everyone. I am Nicole Sandler. Coming to you live at NicoleSandler.com on the Progressive Voices Network. Let's see, Netroots Radio, um, uh, Verdant Square Radio, which is our newest affiliate. Also, streaming video live on Facebook Live, Periscope, Twitch, and YouTube. It's your loss, damn it. I, I'm posting the shows to YouTube after the fact, but I'm still suspended. I've got one more, one more person I need to check in with who a back channel like to Don Henley's people to see if we can't, uh, you know, light a fire under their asses to, <laughs> to um, uh, get this thing working right again. Yeah, either way, it, to, to coin a phrase, it is what it is. Oh, it is what it is. Um, speaking of that, I did not watch any of the kickoff of the Republican National Convention today. But they started today and they did their roll call. And you see, already he's cheating or trying to cheat because they worked it out, both parties with the networks, that each, both sides would each put produce two hours worth of convention programming a day. The cable networks would carry it from 9 to 11 p.m. Eastern. And the broadcast networks will pick and choose, but they're going to carry it between 10 and 11 p.m. Eastern. That's all they were ever going to carry was the one hour. And and if you watched any of the Democratic convention last week on the broadcast channels, you know that um, they didn't even carry the one hour in its entirety. And what I read over the weekend was the reason they didn't do it with the Democrats is because they're afraid of what they're going to get from the Republicans. They're afraid it's going to be an hour of gaslighting, of lies, of complete and utter bullshit. Right. So they didn't want to, you know, be a uh, fall under the uh, criticism. Well, you carried their stuff wall to wall. Why won't you carry ours? And so they didn't carry it wall to wall. Well, what the Republicans did today was start their programming earlier in the day. So they had not only their roll call instead of during the nighttime convention hours as the Democrats did it, they did it today at like 11 o'clock this morning. And I guess some of the cable channels felt compelled to carry some of this stuff to the detriment of the rest of us, people who were perhaps watching the the hearing, the House Oversight Committee hearing with Louis DeJoy, the not a joy uh, postmaster general testifying. So I understand that some of the cable channels even cut away from, um, you know, the, the hearing to go to, to the Trump thing. And I'm sorry, that was not part of the deal. Doesn't matter because I wasn't watching on the cable channels anyway. I was watching on C-SPAN, as we all should. Because you don't have to, you don't have to listen to Chuck Toad or, you know, some, the equivalent over at CNN. So. I didn't listen to any of that stuff, but apparently Donald Trump did his usual thing of gaslighting, of lying to you, of telling you the sky is green when you know it's blue. 
And I'm telling you that again today because that's the subject of today's interview. Today, we will not have a Music Monday segment. We will have another Movie Monday segment because I watched a film over the weekend that um, uh, will be out available for you to watch in a limited release this Friday and a video on demand on Tuesday of next week. And it's called Unfit, The Psychology of Donald Trump. And yes, they go there. They speak with um, uh, mental health experts who have no compunction about uh, diagnosing Donald Trump. They also explain what the Goldwater rule is and why it really doesn't apply here. And they talk at length about gaslighting. So we'll get into all of that. So don't feel like you're crazy. But I watched the hearing with DeJoy. And boy, he is one just miserable person. He's just not nice. But, you know, um, you know how they often save the best for last? Well, the House Oversight Committee is a big committee and it has a lot of um, a lot of members on it. So the the hearing went until about uh, probably close to three o'clock this afternoon, um, starting at 10 this morning. And um, it was exactly what you'd expect, except. All right, here we go. Uh, Democrats need to get their shit together. Carolyn Maloney is the new chair of the House Oversight Committee. And I got to say, boy, she sucked. She just was not good. Now, it doesn't help that she replaced the late, great Elijah Cummings, who was brilliant. And his oversight of that committee was always brilliant. He was always spot on. Carolyn Maloney not only didn't know how to keep control of her caucus, she didn't know how to, you know, put the Republicans in their place. She didn't know how to keep time. She didn't know how to make sure the tech people were on top of it because they weren't. It was a mess. But if you could sit through all of it, you'd finally get to Ayanna Presley, AOC, and the one and only Katie Porter. And well, you know what? Did I? Oh, I don't have the AOCs here. Hmm. I have Katie Porter's video here. I have the the video of uh, you know what? But I want to I want to play AOC's first. I don't have AOC's video for those of you. Um, oh shoot! Did I not even pull her? I don't think I even have her audio. So I'm going to look for it. I'll tell you what. We will begin with Katie Porter's brilliant questioning of uh, Lewis, not a joy, um, uh, because she was she was. She was just great. And in fact, last week, when it became known that this hearing was going to happen today, she tweeted out that uh, Louis DeJoy best come prepared, because I know I will. Well, today, after her questioning, she said, spoiler alert, he didn't, meaning he didn't come prepared. But she did. So um, I'm going to play the whole segment. It's only it's like five and a half minutes long, but it's worth it. So and and if you're watching on Facebook Live or Twitch, twitch.tv slash Nicole Sandler show or Periscope, periscope.tv slash Nicole Sandler or what's the other one? Oh, um, uh, we got oh Facebook Live. Duh. Facebook uh, dot com slash the Nicole Sandler show. But I think I also have it linked on my regular page. Anyway, those are the ways you can be watching the video right now. And and I post it to the blog 
along with the audio podcast every day. So if you really, you know, if you can't find it on your own, you really want to see it, it there's plenty of places you can watch. All right, you ready for um, uh, the one, the only, the brilliant Katie Porter? You take it away, girl. Mr. DeJoy, thank you for being with us today. What is the cost of a first-class postage stamp? 55 cents. <laughs> Just wanted to check. What about to mail a postcard? I don't I don't know, ma'am. Uh-oh. You don't know the cost to mail a postcard. Uh-oh. I don't. What if I want to mail a you said 55 cents for a first class stamp, but what if it's like one of those greeting cards that's a square envelope? Then what is the postage? I'll submit that I know uh, very little about a postage stamp. What is the weight limit? You are more in the shipping logistics business. What's the weight limit for priority mail? 70 pounds. And what is the starting rate for U.S. Post Office, uh, USPS priority mail? The starting rate for what? USPS priority mail. Starting weight, uh, 14 ounces. No, the, the, That's the, not the what rate, she asked. The price. I, I don't know. I don't know. Do you know about within a million or so? Can you tell me how many people voted by mail in the last presidential election? No, I cannot. To the nearest 10 million? <laughs> there is I a huge fundraising. I would be guessing, and I don't want to guess. Okay, so Mr. DeJoy, I'm concerned. Um, I'm glad you know the price of a stamp, um, but I'm concerned about your understanding of this agency. And I'm particularly concerned about it because you started taking very decisive action when you became Postmaster General. You started directing the unplugging and destroying of machines, changing of employee procedures, and locking of collection boxes. As a professor, I've always told my students that one of the most important rules in life is to read the instructions. Did you actually read and independently analyze the major overhaul plans before you ordered them to take effect? Again, I will repeat that I did not order major overhaul plans. The, the items you identify were not directed by me. I did, and we're we don't need much analysis to, to, get, to run Could your you trucks to a me, schedule. Reclaiming my time, Mr. Joy. Could you please tell me who did order these reclaiming changes? Reclaiming my time. Mr. General did not, the, because these changes have resulted the, in, and you have said yourself the, in this the, hearing. The Postal Service has been around for 250 years. There were plans. There were many, many executives, almost uh, uh, 30,000 executives within the time, organization. Mr. And there were plans that existed uh, prior to my arrival so that, were that were implemented. Mr. DeJoy. If you did not order these actions to be taken, please tell the committee the name of who did. Yes, yes. I do not know. <gasps> you don't Mr. know? Mr. DeJoy, did you analyze these plans before they went into effect? You as Postmaster General supervise whomever did apparently. As, as I've stated numerous times, the plans were in effect and being implemented before I arrived. Mr. DeJoy, 
do you take responsibility for these changes? I take responsibility from the day I sat in a seat for any service deterioration that uh, has 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 occurred. Um, you're asking Mr. about operate. You're asking about oh. operational oh. changes that go reclaiming on throughout time. the whole organization. Reclaiming around the, around my time, uh, Mr. DeJoy. I'm reclaiming my time, sir. Mr. DeJoy, will you commit to reversing these changes? No. Ooh. Mr. DeJoy, will you commit to, um, uh, if the independent, I want to switch to conflicts of interest quickly, will you commit that if the inspector general finds that you committed misconduct with regard to your financial interests in any other company, such as XPO Logistics or Amazon, will you commit, if the inspector general finds that you committed misconduct, will you commit to then resigning? Uh, I don't believe they will find misconduct, but I don't see uh, why I would commit here right now to resigning for any reason. Ooh. Well, you don't think there's any really? reason that you should ever resign? No reason that I've heard here today. Wow. Okay. Um, Mr. DeJoy, um, do you today, because this has been, you've gone back and forth a bit, I want to ask one final question. Do you own any financial interest, whether options or stocks, covered calls, bought or sold? Do you own today any financial interest in Amazon? I do not. The, gen the gentle lady's time has expired. The gentleman may answer, 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 answer. Whoops. And with that, uh, her time was up. He didn't answer anything else. What a dick. Right. What a jerk he is. Um, uh, but there you have it. Uh, Louis DeJoy. What a joy or, or not. So that happened. Um, I did. I was able to find AOC's questions. Uh, you want to hear those? Because she was pretty good, too. I, I think. See, there, there's some question about whether or not Louis DeJoy owns stock in Amazon. And apparently Jackie Spear. Uh, was not well prepped by her staff because she stepped in it. And then Rashida Tlaib apparently wasn't listening when Jackie Spearer was questioning DeJoy because she stepped in it too. So they kind of got their signals crossed and they lost valuable ground there. I got to tell you, Democrats, get your shit together. If you, you know, if you do your homework, if you're prepared like Katie Porter, um, you're not going to step in it like that. Uh, she was good. And actually, so was AOC. So let's uh, let's listen to AOC, shall we? Here we go. I think. I think. Is it coming? Where is it? Hello? Why do I not hear anything? Oh, duh. It would help if I turned on the sound. Your announcement in, in your new position as Postmaster General was announced. You know, there was some folks that were flagging concerns that you would be the first Postmaster General uh, in two decades without previous experience or service directly in the USPS. Yeah. But to be fair, and as you mentioned, um, you do have extensive career experience in supply chain logistics, correct? I do. And in fact, you served as CEO of your own supply chain company, New Breed Logistics, for 30 years, correct? I did. And uh, that was up until about 2014 when you merged New Breed Logistics with another company, XPO Logistics, where you also served as CEO for a year and then served on its board of directors until about 2018 when you submitted your resignation, correct? I, yeah. 
Yeah. Now, uh, yeah. I would like, Madam Chairwoman, I would like to uh, submit to the committee three documents for the record. Uh, the Postmaster's new entrant report detailing his financial disclosures. Ooh, uh, publicly one. available data detailing the USPS top suppliers for the last three years and the recent XPO SEC filings. Now, Mr. DeJoy, you've okay. received... Thank Obje- you. Uh, oh, Mr. Oh, DeJoy, I you've received about uh, $1.86 million in rental payments uh, from your former company, XPO, correct? Uh, approximately, yes. Have you taken any meetings with XPO Logistics since becoming Postmaster General? I have not. Hi, I'm oh. Stacey Abrams. Oh, wait a minute. And I'm what, personally really? asking you. So, so YouTube is putting an ad in the middle of this video. Have Unreal. you emailed, texted, called, video conferenced, <laughs> or communicated with your former company, XPO Logistics? I have many friends at the company, and I've spoken to them casually uh, uh, over the last several months. Yes, I probably would have spoken to them. Thank you. Now, you started in your role as Postmaster General on June 16th of this year. That's a very big job. Don't need to tell you that. And it has a lot of responsibility. You mentioned meeting with President Trump, uh, Secretary Mnuchin. I can't even imagine how busy that must be. Now, She's good. Um, She's really calendar? good. Some of the others were really pissy uh, with him, but she was really good. Uh, have you or your staff made any deletions to your calendar since Ooh. becoming Postmaster General on June 16th? I don't, I don't think so. You don't think so? Um, you don't think so? Have eth- do ethics officers at USPS have access to Ooh, your calendar to screen conflicts officers. of interest? We have an ethics officer that looks at meetings that I have, yes. And Uh-oh. they have uh, full access to your calendar? Uh, they will work, yes. Yes. Uh, can we get a commitment from you to submit your uh, calendar dating back to June 16th to this committee? I yes. don't know. I'll check oh, with counsel. Don't know. Um, well, you know. I set a precedent for my calendar to be submitted <laughs> well uh, according to to regulations that we currently have electronic calendars that are uh, submitted and maintained on usps computers yeah. are agency records yes, and they so are. can we get your commitment to hand that calendar over to this if, committee if as a matter of course in for fact, investigation i'm new to this if that is <laughs> in fact the process that uh, our new. council says i must comply with then i will do that yes thank you um Madam, uh, Madam Chairwoman, I would say, you know, the details of this calendar are extraordinarily important to the committee's investigations. And if we cannot receive them uh, voluntarily, I would recommend consideration of a subpoena for Ooh. these details. Um, now, lastly, Kill them with kindness. selfishly, I represent New York's 14th Congressional District. Yes, you do. Uh, we have Lovely, written the agency the several times uh, regarding accessibility for a ramp in our historic Jackson Heights post office. And I would greatly appreciate uh, return correspondence to make sure that we can ensure that our disabled and elderly uh, constituents can I love uh, her. get access to the post office. I really do. Thank you very much. I yield my time. Oh, yes. AOC. AOC asking um, uh, some really good questions of Louis DeJoy, and she just killed him with kindness. Again, some of the others were not quite so, um, um, well, nice about it. Uh, For instance, let me just play for you a little bit of this guy. I think his first name is Stephen Lynch of of, um, uh, Massachusetts. I don't have video, but (laughs) you'll get it from the audio. This is just the last minute and a half or so. In an effort to apply the facts, the real facts, not the not the alternative facts based on what you have actually done. One can only reach as a fact finder. We can only reach two conclusions. Yeah. One, 
either through gross incompetence, no. you have ended the 240-year history of delivering the mail reliably Uh-oh. on time, or the second conclusion that we could gather yeah. is that you're doing this on purpose and that you're deliberately dismantling this once proud tradition. The gentleman's time has expired. The gentleman Uh-oh. may answer his question. My, my last Thank question you. is this. <laughs> He's not done yet. What the heck are you doing? What the heck are you doing? What the heck are you doing? Thank you, sir. The gentleman's uh, time has expired. The gentleman may answer. First of all, I, I would like to uh, uh, agree with you on the heroic efforts of our 650,000 uh, 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 um, employees across the nation and the history of the Postal Service for their uh, 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 the 250-year uh, hi- history of serving the American the American public. And I'm very Will you proud. put the machines I'm very, back? I'm very proud Will you put the machines the, the back? Organization. The rest of your accusations are actually Will you put the, will you actually put the high-speed machines no, back? No, I will not. You will not? Will not. You will not. Well, there you go. There I go. What? Those will, machines, Ms. Madam those Chair, machines have let the witness answer the question. And, and, and as he has order, gone over time. Whoa. Order, order. The gentleman <laughs> may answer the question without being interrupted. Every the question accusation. is, will you put the machines back? The, the, will you the put the machines no, back? The answer is no. Other than the truck. All right, shut up. And here's the thing. He never answered why. And I, I do fault the Democrats because I don't recall any of them except... I think it was Ro Khanna, I, and he never gave him a chance to respond. I don't recall any of them asking why. You remove these machines. You say they're not necessary. We know the mail has been slowed down because of it. Why won't you put them back? Why do you say they're not needed? He still hasn't answered the question. Not that he would, because, oh, he got belligerent. He got nasty. Now, again, some of the Democrats were pretty nasty with him. But I guess you get what you give, to quote new radicals. All right. Um, uh, let's see. I told you we've got uh, uh, there's other stuff I need to get. Let me get to some of the other uh, news, because there was a lot of news that I didn't get to today. Hopefully you'll go to NicoleSandler.com and click on what's news and listen to today's what's news report, because I can only hit on a few things. But let me uh, very briefly go through some of the other stories I didn't get to today. It happened again. This time, another unarmed black man shot by police in America. This time it was Kenosha, Wisconsin, of all places. A video shows officers with guns drawn following a man named Jacob Blake as he attempted to enter his car where his three young children, all under the age of 10, were sitting in the back seat. And what happened? Uh, 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 Jacob Blake tries with these cops, like coming after him, one with a gun drawn on him, tries to go in his car and he leans into the driver's seat. And one of the cops is pulling on his white T-shirt and another one. Well, this happened. Seven gunshots are heard and the man goes limp in the car. Police say they were called to a call to the address to deal with a domestic disturbance. Mr. Blake reportedly tried to break up a fight between two women. He is in the hospital. Thankfully, he's not dead with seven shots to, you know, point blank shots to his back. Last I heard, he was in um, critical condition. And the day before, police clashed with protesters in Lafayette, Louisiana on Saturday. A day after, officers shot and killed Trayford Pellerin, a 31-year-old black man outside a convenience store. 
I don't know about you, but I've seen this movie too many times and it doesn't end well. All right. I told you the the, the Republican convention gets underway today. Um, <laughs> they've released some speakers lists. It looks pretty pathetic. Um, the lineup of speakers includes Mark and Patricia McCloskey. That's the Missouri couple who pointed guns at Black Lives Matters protesters passing their house in June. This is who they celebrate. Nicholas Sandman. He's the Kentucky teenager who sued news outlets over their coverage of his stare down of a Native American protester in Washington last year. Oh, and of course, you know, the Trump kids are going to speak. As for the 2020 Republican Party platform, this is hysterical. They um, quietly over the weekend posted on GOP.com their platform. You can go there, GOP.com, and look at read Republican platform. And it says resolution regarding the Republican Party platform resolved that the Republican Party has and will continue to enthusiastically support the president's America first agenda. And then there's a few more resolves. And then you go down the list a little further and it says resolved. Yes, there's a typo in their official resolutions (laughs) regarding the Republican Party platform resolved. Um. And it's resolved that the 2020 Republican National Convention will adjourn without adopting a new platform until the 2024 Republican National Convention. So they copied and pasted their 2016 platform without editing even one word. So it means that this language appears in the Republican Party platform. And I quote, The current administration has exceeded its constitutional authority, brazenly and flagrantly violated the separation of powers, sought to divide America into groups and turn citizen against citizen. They got something right. Unbelievable. Oh, and let me just share this with you, too. Uh, Michael Bender, who I guess writes for The Wall Street Journal, just tweeted out a few minutes ago, day one of the Trump convention so far, DeJoy grilled over Trump mail voting complaints. Two dozen plus GOPers endorse Biden. That happened today. Melania reportedly on tape criticizing POTUS. Yeah, we heard that. It's all coming out in a book in the next few weeks. Top Trump evangelical. This would be Franklin Graham accused of watching his wife, a woman for Trump board member, have sex with another man. Oh, yeah. And Franklin Graham finally resigned from Liberty University. How's your day going, Donald? Having a good one? Yeah. All right. All right. So I told you we uh, today's movie Monday. So I'll tell you what. We'll start with a trailer for the new movie called Unfit. The psychology of Donald Trump, and then um, we'll uh, we'll get the director on the line. All right, so take it away, trailer guy. The American dream is dead. I will bring it back. Who are you consulting with consistently? I'm speaking with myself. Donald Trump is like a practical joke that got out of hand. I think I know more about the environment than most people. He's the most documented liar in human history, I think, at this point. This was the largest audience to ever witness an inauguration, period. You're saying it's a falsehood, and Sean Spicer. 
gave alternative facts. Alternative facts? The fake news, right? Sociopaths can be successful because they're con men. He cheats all the time. He's going to cheat at golf. You don't think he's going to cheat to win an election? You don't think he's going to cheat to break rules, to get information from foreign countries? My God, he just admitted he does it. Is Donald Trump fit to serve as the president and commander-in-chief? I can answer that with one word, no. These psychiatrists now who are trying to diagnose without ever having met the man. Trump is a sadist. What? Uh, I don't know what I said. Uh. The misogynist. He said, I wouldn't even let you suck my dick. The racist. Look at my African-American over here. He is not a racist. He's soul. That's different from being a racist. It's so sad that so many people have let their worst side come out through Trump. It's an anger-based vote. The system is rigged, and the system is unfair towards them. They're like, okay, give my vote to the orange man. Let's see how he does. There are times the in history man. when figures appear who are able to coalesce existing hatreds and anxieties. I've never really liked the Trump is an idiot, Trump is a buffoon aspect of the anti-Trump rhetoric. I think it does diminish some of the real dangers he poses. Trump has helped autocrats all around the world. These people are all fellow travelers now. Mental health professionals have the duty to protect society if there's a risk to society. To whom will history be kinder? Those who spoke up during the age when Trump rose or those who were silent? Unfit. The psychology of Donald Trump. Um, I'm an idiot. First of all, it was not a Franklin Graham. It was Jerry Falwell Jr. But, you know, they're all the same to me. They all look alike. All right. Now, on to our interview. Now is Dan Partland. He's the producer and director of a new film called Unfit. Uh, but wait, there's a subtitle to it as well. Uh, Dan, you, you're looking at Donald Trump's mental capacity. And unfit is, um, uh, well, is, is a statement about his, his mental health. Yes, unfit, the psychology of Donald Trump. Well, uh, we, left it, we left the title broad because there's a lot of different ways to look at fitness for office. It's true that the focus of the film is on psychology. Um, it, but we really came to it from that perspective of starting out wanting to explore Trump's psychology because there was everybody was following the news in the early parts of 2017 and 18. There was immediately an endless stream of scandals, and there was obviously something that connected them, but it seemed like that was not being really discussed in the news. The news seemed sort of incomplete that we took each one as a new event that came along. Um, and so the effort was to try to go a level deeper that the 24-hour news cycle has trouble with and get a broader picture of what is actually driving all these scandals. So the film starts out actually looking at tr Trump's psychology, the psychology of the man himself, but ultimately that's not all that interesting or even that important. The other layers that it gets into um, that was really part of our discovery in making the film is the psychology of the electorate, um, that put him in power 
And then ultimately, really, what the film uh, ends up with is a real look at the psychology of authoritarianism and what mm. leads the world in that direction. And that, and that and that's certainly a topic that we need to get to because of obviously everything we're living through. But to get to this point, um, a lot has been made. Look, anybody, any reasonable person watching Donald Trump and how he. Uh, interacts with people, whether it's citizens, constituents, if you will, or leaders of other nations, realizes that there's something off with this man. There's something not quite normal about the way he interacts with people. And you talk a lot in the film as the director, not you personally, but the film, um, about the issues surrounding the idea of diagnosing someone's mental state without seeing them. But this actually comes from a, a policy of the, uh, I guess, the American Psychiatric Association or the medical community based on um, sort of armchair diagnosis of a, of a prior presidential candidate in Barry Goldwater. Absolutely. So the APA, American uh, Psychiatric Association, um, issued guidelines in the wake of uh, a bit of a scandal back in the 1964 election. It wasn't settled until the early 70s, but um, basically some uh, mental health professionals in the run-up to the 1964 election um, did some sloppy armchair diagnosis of Barry Goldwater as unstable. It really wasn't true. Um, the truth of the matter is they were... Um, not practicing uh, the science very well, even in the even in the standards of the times, um, which led them to make wild speculations mm-hmm. um, about things that you really couldn't know about. This became known as the Goldwater Rule, and it was really designed, I think, with very good intent. It was designed to keep from politicizing um, politics. Uh, I mean, it's politicizing mental health and politics. Um, and it was designed to um, it was designed to keep people uh, disciplined, really, in terms of not speculating about people's inner emotional life if they didn't have access to that patient in the clinical setting. But the in modern diagnosis, some of the best diagnoses are made from observing observable behavior. Mm-hmm. And when you're looking at observable behavior, that's actually more valuable. Um, in naming some and understanding some pathologies, some disorders. And so I think um, this, what, what was very interesting going back to where we started is that what was missing from the news was this discussion. And I realized as we dug into this that the reason it was missing was that the APA did, in the run-up to the 2016 election, issue um, – a new gag order, reiterating the Goldwater rule, because they, they feared this coming. Hmm. And the reason they did this, I mean, you'll have to ask them, but it certainly seems. Uh, the reason they did this was they understood that this was going to quickly become politicized. And honestly, they were afraid of political retribution. Um, as soon as it enters the political realm, there's always that possibility. Right. Um, a lot of dollars, resources devoted to mental health, public attitudes about mental health. Um, like everything else, can be politicized and polarized, and they really didn't want to wade into that area. The problem was it denied the public the full knowledge that um, this, that mental, mental health and um, psychiatry could provide. Right. Now, there also was the thing that in 1964, um, we didn't have 24-7 
cable news cycles. We didn't have cell phones with video cameras on every person. We didn't even have tape recordings constantly going. We didn't have the kind of access to a presidential candidate then as we do now. Now, if if anybody would desire it, I guess you can get Donald Trump almost nonstop, 24-7. Back in 1964, it wasn't that way. So we didn't have as much information. I mean, now you can find out more than anybody ever needs or wants to know about Donald Trump. You couldn't necessarily get that much information about Barry Goldwater. It wasn't that readily available. And I think some of your experts in the film, Unfit, make the point where we have so much information on him we have we can we can observe him we can hear his words we can analyze him very easily from a distance without having to meet with him one-on-one we've got a ton of information to work from am i stating that correctly were there there reasons absolutely i think i think that um you know the clinical setting is is good for some kinds of diagnosis. But when you have actual, you know, think about a clinician sitting in an office, asking questions, having a conversation with a patient, mm-hmm. very, very hard to know what, if, what their reporting is accurate. Um, you really don't, a clinician usually doesn't get access to all kinds of av- evidence right. on camera, on Twitter, on, you know, in the press and all that of what their of how their patient is actually doing. So they're always kind of reading between the lines. In the case of Donald Trump, there's so much that's on the record, it's so abundant that I think it, it's rather easy to observe and reach some conclusions about um, about but based on observation of his behavior. I did want to say one other thing though, which is that I think the issue of mental health is kind of one of the next big issues that the culture really has to grapple with. I think we have to grow in our sophistication of it. I think that, uh, you know, we've had major reckonings on, on a bunch of different things in recent years. Me too. We're having one about race right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I think mental, the mental health one is coming. And I think it's very important that the public starts to acquire appropriate language for talking about. You're things. absolutely right. And even I think something that a lot of people haven't even um, uh, haven't understood yet because it's not in our faces yet is this whole COVID experience with the, all the isolation depression is, is uh, in epidemic proportions right now. We may not see it to the extent that it's out there and anxiety because people are alone. A lot of people are stuck at home alone and they're isolated. And what I'm hearing is I, I read a statistic the other day where a, a ridiculous number of people have seriously thought about suicide in the last seven days um, th- because this whole experience we're going through and I'll, I'll throw Trump into the mix along with COVID, along with the, the financial uncertainties and everything else that's coming out of this is is driving a lot of people into mental illness. And we haven't even begun to cope with that yet. So putting aside the Donald Trump question, this is this is a coming disaster that we're not we're not there yet. Absolutely. And that's why we have to get the right language for talking about it. Um, We don't want to weaponize it. We don't want to stigmatize it. I don't even want to stigmatize Donald Trump, to be honest. I think that he's a sick man. I mean, I I I feel like, you know, you've got to just think about what we're dealing with. Would you really want to be Donald Trump, like in his skin? I mean, oh. this back to one of the, the roots of the film is that some people we saw right away that some people saw Trump and they saw in him 
a strong and decisive, charismatic leader, and others saw a mess of, of anxiety and insecurities. And we really wanted to understand why that was. I think it is a question about um, emotional intelligence. You know, it's not, I don't even think it's a question about, about education or anything like mm-hmm. that. I think some people read psychology really well. And some people see the facade and don't really see beyond it. When I see Donald Trump, I see the guy is a mess. I feel yeah. so bad that you could have all that he has and still be so desperate for approval that to that you go to the lengths that he goes to to constantly have his ego stroked and to affirm his his, his um, the image of himself that he wants to believe in. Well, that goes to, uh, and again, and now now we can get into the diagnosis. Again, we're speaking with Dan Partland. He's the producer-director of a new film called Unfit that opens, well, in limited virtual cinema release on August 28th, uh, just a few days from now, and on September 1st on all digital TV on demand and cable TV on demand platforms. It's a different world we're living in right now. So we'll get back to that in a moment. But uh, the film will be available at uh, the end of this week. And so I, I wanted people to know that it's it's coming up because I watch it and it. Uh, I, yes, I mean, it's important. And I'm glad you have a lot of doctors, psychologists, psychiatrists and people who know Donald Trump and have worked around him weighing in. Um, uh, one of the one of the doctors, I think he's a psychologist. Psychiatrist uh, Justin Frank has written a few books about the mental uh, state of some of our presidents, and he's weighed in on on Donald Trump too. One of the diagnoses that keeps floating around um, that that they talk about in the film is malignant narcissism, and um, even those of us who are not steeped in the technical uh, medical terminology know narcissist. He's a classic narcissist, but you have real psychologists and psychiatrists saying he has exhibited these specific traits and malignant narcissism is a really, really serious one, a scary one. It is a scary one. I mean, it's, it constellates, it's more of a syndrome. It's a constellation of different traits and people, frankly, different, um, different versions of how they um, diagnose it and talk, diagnose it and talk about it. Um, but it was originally a diagnosis that came out of really the aftermath of World War II mm. and trying to understand Hitler yeah. and trying to understand the evil that went on there. Um, and it is a, there's a strong case made in the film that Donald Trump is of this sort of personality type. And people are very, very, you know, there's people are, are very sensitive about Hitler and Nazi comparison for good reason really upsets a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the common thing that people say is like, this is absurd. You know, look at what has Trump done? You know, I mean, Hitler was responsible for the deaths of millions of people. And of course that's true. I don't think anyone's suggesting that Donald Trump today in 2020 has done anything like Hitler or the other, you know, uh, guys in the pantheon of, of fascists. Um, but what we're talking about is, Hitler wasn't Hitler in 1922. Mm-hmm. In 1922, what was being written about him was a lot like what was being written about Donald Trump in 2016. It was the public coming to grips, trying to understand um, where this was coming from and how this guy worked, and his following was building in, in a, a very similar way. Now, I don't think that Donald Trump has the capacity 
to uh, do anything like what Adolf Hitler did. That's not the point. The point is that these th- this personality has the capacity to do tremendous damage once they have built this kind of circle of confusion about who they really are and what they're really doing. He's following the time honored, what, what is commonly called the authoritarian plague. Yes. It starts oh, with a doubt. undermining the press, hollowing out the bureaucracy, because if, if people don't know what's true anymore, you can convince them of anything. If the bureaucracy is hollowed out, then the people who hold leaders to account are no longer there anymore. Uh, going after political enemies, taking over the judiciary. Yeah. One by one, Trump, not necessarily by plan, I suspect by instinct, by by his intuition of to constantly consolidate more power, has really followed these things. And as we're moving into the 2020 election, I think that that a lot of the pillars of our government and our institutions have been undermined in a way that could make this election whatever way it comes out, um, a really, really confusing and, and divisive moment. For well, it's it certainly will be. I mean, putting everything else aside, just look at the actions and statements of Donald Trump today. I mean, he is setting up uh, to contest, to make illegitimate the election because he believes he's going to lose. Because all the writing on the wall looks like he's going to be he he he's going to get destroyed in November. So he's setting it up so that you don't trust voting by mail, that the election's going to be rigged. Now, remember, he said that in 2016 as well until he won. Then you never heard him say the election was rigged again. But up until the moment he realized he won, he kept talking about how the election was rigged. Well, he's doing it again now. Um, I've been spending all morning watching the hearing out of the House Oversight Committee with the new uh, Postmaster General um, trying to tell us that, you know, red is blue and up is down. um, And he's not trying to slow down the mail delivery while they're slowing down the mail delivery. This is a phenomenon that you discuss in the film Unfit called gaslighting. And I'm really glad you bring it up because this is a a, a tactic that Donald Trump employs all the time. It's things like, um, well, that just didn't happen about something that absolutely did happen. Um, I liken it to, I, I, I say, they're telling us the sky is green. You and I know it's blue, but they keep insisting it's green to the point where when I go outside, I look and I'm almost embarrassed that I almost am going to say it's green because everyone's telling me it's green. and Maybe I'm the crazy one. Gaslighting, you explain in the movie, and I just want to play this clip, if that's all right, from the film that talks about uh, the phenomenon of gaslighting. Here we go. It's from the film Unfit. Gaslighting is a crucial tool of abusive personalities. It is lying to someone in a way that makes them doubt their own perception of reality. I'm Dr. Romani Devasala. I'm a professor of psychology. It's an interesting place where the origin of this term gaslight came from. It came from a what was a play in the 30s and then became a film called Gaslight. And it was about a man who was slowly trying to drive his wife mad. The gas dim, as it does when someone turns on another light in the house. Did 
Could you turn on another light, Elizabeth? No, ma'am. There's no one in the house but us. The gas lights kept getting turned up and down, and he was denying having done it. You're going to see a doctor, madam. No, More than one doctor tomorrow morning. Very common sorts of gaslighting statements are things like, it never happened that way, you must be losing your mind. Um, they'll literally say things happened that didn't happen. I didn't do that. I didn't say that. Many people call gaslighting a form of emotional abuse because what you're really doing is setting out to confuse another person. When you confuse someone like that, you really do almost render them more vulnerable to you and actually easier to coerce because now they don't really know which way is up. It's as though you've sort of turned gravity off and turned them upside down. A clip from the film Unfit that opens this weekend um, uh, about gaslighting. And but they said it all in there and they're doing it right now. In fact, Dan, they're they're trying to paint us as we're we're stepping over the line by saying that after Charlottesville, Donald Trump said there are very fine people on both sides. It's exactly what he said, but they're trying to reframe it. It's that's not what he was saying at all. It's exactly what he was saying. Yeah, it's quite shocking. I mean, what what's interesting, I think, is is how relatively easily that was achieved. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think it's a it's a product of our polarized time and the fact that we're all getting our information from these different silos. And if you're watching a network that is only you know talking about it in a certain way, um, then it's easy to. It's easy to influence um, the public into believing that, you know, hey, all the voices that we have on this network are saying the same thing. Right. Um, And, you know, across the political spectrum, the the siloing is happening, and that is making it harder for us to have common shared understanding. I would just, you know, I, I... we have to encourage everybody, ourselves and each other, to get our information from a diversity of sources and to look all over the place and then compare them and see which one you think is more faithful to what's happening. Because there's a spin to anything. You can find a way to spin it. But is that is that an honest spin? Hmm. Um, is mm-hmm. it a fair spin? Right. Um, and, you know, again, spinning out into a lot of different issues that are destabilizing the, the culture right now. But it's, I think our information systems have become terribly, terribly polluted, contaminated with misinformation. And it's an outgrowth of something we thought was great and democratic, right? That everybody, um, social media, modern technologies, everyone had a megaphone. You don't, there are no barriers to entry to publishing in the way that there used to be. The problem is that puts everybody's voice the good side is it puts everyone's voice on the same plane and the bad side is it puts everybody's no. voice on the same plane. No. And not everyone's voice is equal. Some people are authorities and much better informed. And we've, um, I think that we've eroded a lot of faith in institutions and in expertise. And without, uh, without, if you, if you're ready to roll your eyes and, and dismiss experts, um, then you're free to believe whatever you want. Right. And you're going to and, believe and, what, what all the people around you believe. And we continue this pattern of silos. And and to that point, Dan Partland, you've uh, you've assembled a real slate of experts, the people that you have throughout the film. And I noticed, Dan, your um, Twitter handle is duty to warn duty number two warn. And there's a duty to warn coalition. Can you explain what this is about? Sure. Duty to warn um, is a concept, really. Um, It's a concept that has been around in the mental health community 
which is that when they're aware of imminent danger, a mental health professional is supposed to report it. It's a ethical guideline. It's actually written into law in all 50 states in some way or another that a mental health professional has a duty. They have liability. If they see potential for danger, imminent danger, um, that they need to alert the public. This is really complicated because for the, you know, most of the history of this profession, um, what was really paramount was confidentiality. And they didn't want, it was considered that a psychologist could not go and tell somebody something that a patient had said under any circumstances. So this issue with Trump and the duty to warn is a really complicated one because what they're doing, what mental health professionals are doing is commenting on publicly observable events and putting it together with their expertise. And even in the American Psychiatric Association, this is regarded as an unresolved ethical dilemma. Um, there is genuinely a need to, to um, honor confidentiality, to not politicize politics. On the other hand, there is also, and it isn't in, enshrined in law, the obligation to warn the public when they are aware of imminent danger. And that's what uh, I think this film serves to do. I, I, although I, I'm guessing most people watching it understands the situation we're in right now. And I, I'm guessing that's one of the reasons why you did this, made this film. Uh, Dan Partland, the movie is called Unfit. Um, the, the website is unfitfilm.com where you could watch the trailer and some other clips and get more information about it. Again, it opens uh, this Friday. Right. Friday and uh, Friday and what we call virtual cinema, which is uh, limited engagements. It's still online screening, but but affiliated with your local art house theater. But then it is opening September 1st, streaming on all on demand. Platforms, oh, awesome. So and home and everything. So digital. it'll be available everywhere um, uh, on September 1st, which uh, is is this weekend. Right. It's oh, it's Tuesday. It's Tuesday. 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 Uh, so awesome. Uh, I, I highly recommend it. It's it's frustrating. It's infuriating. Um, but it, it also has experts saying the things that, you know, you know, so you're not crazy. Don't let them gaslight you. I've been screaming about gaslighting since he took office. And this is a um, an idea that more people need to understand what they're doing. I'm guessing you think that Mary Trump was right in, in coming forward and she being a, a, a clinical psychologist as well to expose what she knows, because she also has a duty to warn, doesn't she? Well, absolutely. I mean, her her duty is is a kind of moral duty. It's not a it's not a legal duty, but. I think that this uh, I think this is a very dicey moment in American politics, and I think it's really calling for everybody to take a stand. Um, and and I also really think it's calling for everybody to have an open heart and an open mind. I think there's so much polarization, so much divisiveness. We've got families against families. I think whatever happens in the morning after the election, whether uh, regardless of who wins, I think there's going to be a lot more turmoil. I'm oh, very yeah. concerned yeah. about this period post-election until inauguration. Um, but <laughs> to make, to make things wanna... worse, November 4th is my birthday. Just, you know. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Happy birthday in advance. Yeah, I would you. celebrate in advance. Yeah. Get that out of the way. Yeah, but yeah. Because but, what's coming may be, um, not gonna may be, be a difficult moment for the country. But look, I think the country is going to get through it. I think we're going to get through it. Uh, I think that um, 
we'll, we're going to pull together. I mean, I know there are people in my family. I have a lot of friends who believe very deeply in Trump. I mean, a very important note in the film is that it does try to um, understand uh, the perspective of a lot of Trump supporters and why he's so meaningful to them and why they, why they like him so much, why they believe him, why they get comfort from him and failings of our political system that he, it was right to be talking about. And I'm glad that a spotlight has been focused on that. I think there are a lot of people who are just not being served by the status quo and they wanted to shake things up. They wanted to blow it up. I get it. I kind of want to also, but Donald Trump wasn't the way. Exactly. Um, it's happened. He's blown it up. And now it needs to be put back together. And we can do it. Um, and we will. I think that the American spirit, you know, will will rise. People will recognize these are my friends and cousins. Um, and they're not bad people. 60 mm-hmm. million people are not bad people because they voted for Donald Trump. They saw something that they liked. And they voted for that. A certain number will vote for for it again today. You know, I think uh, I was seeing, I, I think, um, you know, even Hoover got 40 plus percent right. of the vote. Like <laughs> right. it's yeah. how elections go. Yeah. Um, but uh, there's a better way forward. And I do think that um, the current president is, is a danger. He's a danger to our democratic processes and to our society at large. Couldn't agree more. Dan Partland, thank you so much. Thanks for making this film. I think it's an important one, and I hope people watch it. It's called Unfit. Again, it's available. I'll put links on the blog at NicoleSandler.com. But remember, go to unfitfilm.com, and you can get all the information you need. Dan, thank you so much. It was great talking to you. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me on. It was a pleasure. My pleasure. Thanks. So Dan, uh, Dan uh, uh, Partland, um, yeah, and the film Unfit. Definitely do check it out. So, um uh, yeah. So I got to tell you, we've got a busy, busy week on the show. And <laughs> I've got two books here. One is a little one. See, it's a little one. Uh, it's by Tom Hartman. It's The Hidden Histories of Monopolies, How Big Business Destroyed the American Dream. So, you know, these Tom Hartman's got this whole series of hidden history books. And they're really good because they're written in like his voice. So when you read it, you can hear him speaking. Basically, um, Tom Hartman will be here Wednesday to talk about this new book. And then on Friday, Rick Perlstein will be here. Now, if you're not familiar with Rick Perlstein, you should be because he's written some of the most amazing books about our history, like Nixon land and well, a few others. But Rick Perlstein, unlike Tom Hartman, who can, you know, who puts it all in, you know, this is what, 150 pages 172, but it's a little, nice little book. This is the new one from Rick Perlstein. It's called Reaganland, and it weighs it weighs in. It does weigh in. It also clocks in at 919 pages. I am nowhere near ready for this interview, but I will be because Rick Perlstein joins us on Friday. So, uh, yeah, I got my work cut out for us. Um, tomorrow's Tuesday. Got a laugh. We'll be back. There's so much to talk about that we didn't get to today, like what malaria did to the Rose Garden. Oh, my God. She ripped out all of Jackie Kennedy's trees and bushes and all the first ladies who planted their own roses. She took out all the color and made it white. Took out all the trees and put down sidewalks. 
It's really hideous. So that happened. And then there's Kellyanne and George Conway who are leaving their respective jobs at the White House and at Project Liberty or Project Lincoln Project because their 15-year-old daughter is freaking out because she hates them because she's a sensible girl and her parents are batshit crazy Republicans. So she went public the other day and said she's trying to become emancipated from her parents and then they both did the right thing and said we're going home to deal with family. So that happened. We'll talk to Laffy about all of it tomorrow and hopefully you too. Thanks for listening, everyone. Have a great night and I'll see you tomorrow. Bye. Bye.